sets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams had a record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame. Touchback. Ricky Williams touchdown. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks under pressure. He'll tuck it in run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson, and I am joined today by the Sports Illustrated recruiting guru, John Garcia. John, how's it going, man? It's going well. Good to be back on with you. Uh, Plenty to get to, right? It's like every time we think we have things figured out, uh, it's college football and recruiting. So we, uh, we end up knowing nothing in the end. So it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's always an interesting week, uh, especially around the Texas Longhorns. Um, you know, they had a, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of trying to figure out how to phrase this. Disappointing doesn't seem like the right word. Embarrassing seems more like the right word. Uh, lost to Oklahoma. Um, they were up big. 28 to seven in the first quarter ended up blowing that lead. Oklahoma went on a huge run. Uh, ended up winning 55 or 55. Yeah. 55 to 48 uh, highest scoring game in all time in the series. Uh, Texas is fourth straight loss to Oklahoma. If you count the big t- big 12 title game against uh, against Texas in the, uh, or against Oklahoma in the uh, 2018 season under Tom Herman. Um, John, I guess my question to you is, what happened? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question, Matt. Look, this was this was the perfect um, opening storm for UT, and everything was clicking from the routine plays like the hitch to Xavier Worthy where he takes it, I don't know, 75 yards or whatever it was, uh, to uh, key turnovers and all the breaks kind of falling Texas's way from the small plays to the big ones to the small margin of error plays like Casey Thompson airing it out and the rest of that first half. But after that point, I think there was kind of a a hang loose, let it go mentality with Oklahoma top to bottom. Uh, Obviously the the quarterback change to Caleb Williams was really the, the catalyst for this Uh, very reminiscent of Alabama, Georgia in that national title game in, in, in 2018 where Jalen Hurts comes out and, and Tua Tingvailoa comes in and, and everything just kind of felt different. Um, and, and it was really reflective of all the buzz we'd been hearing behind the scenes in Norman. You know, the, the fans were chanting for Caleb pretty much every game and you got to see why. Uh, this is a, a unique skill set. Number one player in the country for us, of course, last year at SI. And why would Texas have prepared for him? Um he had really been a gadget player at best prior to, to the Red River game. He was the running quarterback, the counter to Spencer Rattler, who was rattled, as you tweeted, um, about midway through that, that first quarter and never really looked right. Um, I was actually surprised in that element because Rattler had his best game the week prior against K-State, which was its own hill to climb for the Sooners. So he was efficient. He was sharp. I just expected similar against a a Texas defense that has shown plenty of of vulnerability, but of course it didn't happen. The the position or the quarterback change happens and then all hell breaks loose 
for UT. All of a sudden you can't tackle. Um, you're loose with the ball. And, and you just saw a true basketball-like momentum shift where now Texas is pressing and Texas is playing tight. Um, it's like we got to remind ourselves, hey, this is college football. This is fun. The team that plays loose and free and relies on what got them there is usually the team that's going to come out on top. So it was one of these true, you know, a tale of first half versus the, the, the second half, tale of two halves, I should say. And uh, everything fell apart for UT, despite some really incredible performances from Thompson, um, from from Worthy, despite the fumble. My goodness, you know, 200 plus receiving yards. There was a lot of positive to take away. So it, it was embarrassing in the final result and the collapse element. But six months ago, if you said, hey, Red River game is going to be a shootout. Oklahoma is going to win it, but but Texas is going to dominate a large portion of it to the point where people were curious if Spencer Rattler has a future at OU. I think a lot of Texas fans would have taken that. There are no moral victories, but again, if you just take yourself out of that moment, out of the Cotton Bowl and the Texas State Fair and the emotions felt of, of ecstasy and then agony right after, if you take yourself out of all of that and you step back and now it's been a couple of days, I think you would have taken that six months ago if, if you're Texas and you could see that there's a foundation there and that things are headed in the right direction. But obviously you want to get the dub along the way. Yeah. Um, listen, that I don't agree with or don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, also, my, my Spencer Rattler being rattled is probably one of my best puns that I've ever done. So I'm really proud of that one. Um, but look, you should be. You should be. <laughs> But look, man, it's no matter which way you slice it, 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 it is a little bit disappointing to to give up that kind of a lead. But I think that's where the disappointment stops. Um, this you're absolutely right. This is a Texas team that didn't even, you know, heading into the season, before, you know, even before um, the Arkansas game where we saw this team get, you know, kind of pummeled. We, we wouldn't have expected Texas to compete with Oklahoma this way. And I, I think that's a positive takeaway in and of itself. Now, if you um, if you boil it down performance by performance, obviously Casey Thompson, huge game, 388 yards, five touchdowns. Bijan Robinson, 137 yards and a touchdown. Xavier Worthy, 261 yards, two touchdowns. Probably the best freshman wide receiver in the country at, at this point. I don't think anybody can really argue that right now. Um, and he has an enormously bright future ahead of him. But then then you start to see where the warts come out. You know, um, Kennedy Brooks had 217 yards on the ground for Oklahoma. Um, Caleb Williams did pretty much anything he wanted to all day. It's, it's really no wonder you guys had him ranked uh, number one in the country at the time. He is yeah, even, even when he fumbled the snap, it was, it was all good. Yeah. E- everything was going in his direction. Um, you know, Marvin Mims, 136 yards and two touchdowns. So obviously it's, it's, it's the defense where, where things I think, mostly went wrong for Texas, um, you know, missed tackles. Uh, they, they started getting dominated in the trenches um, in the second half there by a Oklahoma offensive line that's been kind of suspect this year. Um, now, obviously, there were some other things that went wrong as well. We had some injuries, um, you know, different things here and there. All in all, it was just sort of a, a mosh of <laughs> – once that uh, – once that halftime bell hit, 
everything started going Oklahoma's way and everything started going against Texas. And it was just a, it was kind of a snowball effect from there. Um, but, you know, despite that, there was still, there was still a couple of good things that happened after that too. You know, uh, after all of that momentum had swung Oklahoma's way, Texas got back on the board, touchdown Xavier worthy. They tie up the game, they get a stop, they have a chance, but then they can't score. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And then they give up, uh, you know, that big run to Kennedy Brooks where yes, there was a little holding on the inside. Everybody's been talking about it, but Oklahoma shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. So, um, you know, you can only take that argument so far. Yeah. I think there are some issues with, with obviously the defense and the second level in particular, I think there's a, there's a, a lateral issue with that unit uh, when Oklahoma had success, of course, after the change to Williams, he found success scrambling uh, and he was beating linebackers to the point. And then it creates a, an uneasiness with that defense, even on running plays, because now you're worried about the quarterback run, which is really to me, what fits Lincoln Riley best is when that element of quarterback run is possible, which it really wasn't with Spencer Rattler. It's really the only quarterback in the last several years I can think of who had zero like run element. Like you're not going to design a run for Spencer Rattler. Mm-hmm. Um, if he pulls it on an RPO, you know, that's his prerogative, but you're not going to specifically design that, which is very much unlike Caleb Williams, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murphy, even Baker Mayfield had a couple, you know, 50, 60 yarders that I remember in some big games. So when that offense has that going, now you're challenged East and West as well as vertically, because those OU quarterbacks can, can push the ball down the field. And it created a, a bit of an, uh, an urgency for Texas. And they just couldn't contain the run game, whether it was Williams or the aforementioned Kennedy Brooks backs out of the backfield. I just think that area of the defense second level and those safeties that come down to aid Brockermeyer and company just was a step behind um, and not just missed tackles. It just seems like the angles were bad. It seems like in that snowball, the little things became very big things. And, you know, Kennedy Brooks is running wild with, with blockers in front of him, you know? So I think there are, like you said, a lot of positives to take away, but there's also some glaring holes to address. And when they're that glaring, it's, it's kind of a good thing in the long run, because you know, that is what has been worked on all week long you know, by this, by this defense, which has, you know, already had some subpar performances. This puts it over the top because of the rivalry element and I expect them to come back much better uh, against the Pokes. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, but, you know, also another reason that this is slightly a positive, and this is just kind of my own thing in the way that I think about things, those glaring holes, that's something that you can show to recruits and be like, Hey, if we had you Harold Perkins, we make this play. Or, hey, if we have you, um, you know, safety X, Y, Z, we make that play. Bear Alexander, if we had you in the middle, we could have maybe stuffed that run. You know what I mean? So um, it's you can also use those kinds of things as a recruiting tool in a sense. Um, there is always a sell. Always. Right, exactly. But the inf- Vanderbilt has, has a sell right now. <laughs> Vanderbilt has a sell at every position. <laughs> uh, but, no, I mean – it's hard though, because a lot of these things I don't know can be fixed this season. Yeah. You can do some schematical things. You can kind of put a bandaid on stuff, but when it comes down to it, these players in this defense are not built for Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. And I think that's going to be a negative for them 
probably for the next year or two. And it's going to be, you know, one or two or, or, or maybe three recruiting classes before he fills the defense out with the kind of players that he wants and has those specific skill sets that he needs. And that's fine. Uh, Texas is just going to have to outscore a lot of people over the next couple of years. And I think they can do that. Um, especially with worthy coming out and having such a big performance. And he just seems to shine brightest on these big stages, um, you know, and, and Casey Thompson's getting better and, 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 and on down the line that Bijan Robinson is obviously a game breaker. So a lot going for the horns. Um, the thing is they've got another tough op- opponent coming in this week. Uh, they head back to Austin. They will take on Oklahoma state and we'll talk a little bit about the actual game, but then we'll get into the real important part of that weekend in a second. But this is a big game for Texas, John. It's um, it's their chance to, to bounce back against an undefeated team, prove they can beat a good team, and um, and get you know and, and keep their their destiny under control for the Big Twelve title game. Because if they if they win out, they'll they'll get another shot at Oklahoma in the Big Twelve championship. So, uh, what are your expectations of this game, and and what are some you know um, some things that you're looking for from Texas? You know, I, I think. Texas and Oklahoma State share a unique uh, path towards some of the wins thus far in the year in that they haven't always been pretty or complete efforts on both sides of the football, but they kind of just find a way to get it done for the most part, right? Uh, obviously, OSU undefeated right now, but, you know, who have they played uh, in terms relative to Texas? Obviously, they've, they've played nobody. Texas has played Louisiana, Arkansas, and, and obviously – Oh, you, um, you know, to date, but I do think the perception of Oklahoma state is different than what we think, right? We always think of the pokes. We think of quarterback and Spencer Sanders is still there for those curious and it's five years from now, that'll be the case. <laughs> but we think of prolific offense, pushing the ball down the field, um, you know, and then Chuba Hubbard the last few years. Well, some of that is very different. And OSU is kind of a game managing offense, in 2021 nobody really scares you there is no game breaking player among the skilled players but they're all solid you know um spencer sanders is not having the years that he's had in years previous it's been a little bit um it's been a little slow for him um, but obviously they're, they're getting dubs the running attack without hubbard is very very different nobody is uh you know Jalen warren's a good player but but he's he's no hubbard um and then the receiving core, it's Tay Martin, and and then it's kind of questionable after that point. Um, and, and, and even with Martin, you know, 15 yards a catch, a couple touchdowns this year, good, nothing exceptional. There's no Xavier Worthy. There's no Bijan Robinson type on this team, which makes you flip it around to the other side of the football. And then you realize, oh, crap, OSU's got a pretty good defense. You know, they've held a lot of opponents to lower uh, point totals this year. And I think it's part of the, you know, the year-to-year shift that that happens at a lot of schools that aren't your, your big brand names. And OSU kind of, you know, positions itself now as a bit of a defensive team, which is which is not something we're used to. So if you're a Texas fan, that should be exciting because Texas's offense is not the issue, right? You, you have your quarterback. You know it's Casey Thompson. Bijan Robinson should still be on all these um, – Heisman less, but, but OSU doesn't score the football like it used to. I mean, Missouri state almost beat them week one 
almost lost a couple dollars on that bet. 23-16, OSU beat Missouri State, and they haven't scored more than 31 all year. Um, it, it's just kind of an odd optical um, situation for OSU. We're just used to them putting up points. So they're kind of a defensive team that does just enough offensively, and that should really excite Texas fans. I expect Texas to win this game, and I might expect it by by two or more scores. I think Texas will take enough from the OU game to move forward, and I think they can overwhelm a good Oklahoma State defense at the end of the day. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Oklahoma State, their resume, when you don't look at who they've played, looks pretty. (laughs) But when you look at who they've played, there's a few warts there. Um, Not all the results are what you want, even if you're undefeated. You know, I guess a win's a win at the end of the day. But um, you're right. This is the exact opposite of any Oklahoma State team that we've seen over the last, you know, decade probably dating back to the less miles era at Oklahoma State um, and that's that's going to be interesting Texas always seems to have a little trouble with OSU or I say that but Texas always seems to have a little bit of trouble with everybody in the Big 12 over the last couple of years um, and I, <laughs> I think that Sark is different um, I think Sark's going to have this team I mean, they're going he's going to have their memories wiped they're going to be ready to play um, and they're going to come out. And I, I think they're anxious to get back to uh, to play Oklahoma again because they knew that they know that they blew it, and uh, this will be the first step in, in that trajectory back. Um, I, I I'm interested to see what changes on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they're moving Alfred Collins in for Jacoby Jones, who who hurt his foot and is out for going to be out for an extended period, but. The defensive unit seems largely intact from from what we saw last week. Uh, the one other thing we'll talk about before we move on is um, along the offensive line, Texas made a pretty pretty decent shuffle. Um, you know, obviously Den- Denzel Okafor went down against TCU, and they moved Derek Kerstetter inside to guard and put Andre Carrick uh, at right tackle. That didn't go well against Oklahoma. So what they did now is they moved Kerstetter back outside to tackle. They moved Junior Angelau from right guard to left guard, and then they uh, slid uh, Tope Amade in at right guard. So a little bit different of a look. Um, John, I'm not sure how much you know about these individual players or not, but maybe speak to this. If you do, please tell me. But if, if maybe speak to this. How much of, a, of a, uh, a mental effect will that have, not just on the quarterback who's going to be not used to what he's seeing in front of him, but but to the offensive line, who's who's not used to playing in these in these certain positions, and who's getting used, who's going to start getting used to playing next to a new guy, and and all that kind of stuff. You know, Kyle Flood's been been around the block, right? The offensive line coach for UT, and most programs, I would say, in the last five years, Matt, have shifted to not only like universal cross training outside of the center, which means every tackle is playing every spot. Every guard is playing every spot except for the center. He's, you know, centers are centers uh, for the most part. But I think when you reshuffle towards one side and it seems like it's towards the left side, you know, it kind of it kind of tips your hand a little bit, but I think you can play within those margins because you have a, an athletic quarterback in Casey Thompson and all-world running back in B. John Robinson. So I think it allows you to emphasize that cross training and, and really see it come to life. 
but I think this is more of a long-term uh, sustainable move for UT. Um, th- there was a lot of experience on this offensive line for the most part. Um, and I think this re- reshuffles it towards the left side, which is what most programs want to do. And it's not even about protecting the quarterback's blind side. It's about giving the defense a different look, right? Because if your quarterback's right-handed, like most of them are, naturally a little bit easier uh, to, to let it rip that way. So if your running is at least initially focused on one, the other side, you know, now your, your defensive eyes are looking at every stretch of the field at, at 53 and a half yards or whatever it is. So I think it's a little bit more natural um, and it will open things up just a little bit more. Um, and like you said, Sark's going to stay aggressive anyway, regardless of, of who's in there. And, and you've got an athletic quarterback who can bail you out worst case scenario. Um, but maybe more touches for Bijan if, if things get tight uh, for, for Texas. I think regardless of the offensive line combination, that is uh, that should always be at a premium. Yeah, and you saw what happened uh, when they did that against TCU. Uh, 35 carries, more than 200 yards for Bijan. And he was able to ice the game pretty much all on his own. Uh, the offensive line obviously played a bit of a role in that. But, you know, just give that guy the ball and, and watch him go to work. Yeah, I would say the receiver shuffle is important in the running game too. Jordan Whittington's your biggest, most physical receiver. So him being out does affect that perimeter run game now just a little bit more. So that could be something that is is just as big as as the offensive line shuffle when, when we look at it uh on Sunday. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so let's let's move on. Um obviously the big uh not the bigger part of the weekend in the game because, you know, the game's obviously important, but, but this is quite possibly Texas's biggest in-season recruiting weekend of the year. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Arch Manning, he's going to be there. He's the headliner. He's the number one recruit, probably regardless of classification, not necessarily because of skill set, but just because of everything that comes along with that skill set. Uh, he's... He's the main focus this weekend, but they also have a lot of other guys coming in. And I don't think it's a necessarily a coincidence that they're coming in at the same time as Arch either. Uh, and and I'll read you I'll read you off the list here. Uh, Longhorns Country and well me was <laughs> was able to confirm each and every one every one of these guys showing up individually uh, or separately. So um, let's start at the, at the top. Uh, Quincy Wiggins. Uh, Defensive line out of Baton Rouge, Madison Prep. Then we have uh, Ruben Owens, who was who we'll talk about in a second, who was once a Texas commit out of El Campo. Uh, Jonte Cook, DeSoto wide receiver, elite receiver, one of the top receivers in the 2023 class. Uh, then we have Larry Turner Gooden, Jordan Matthews, Malik Ogbo, Jalen Hale, Ernest Green, Vernon Glover, Anthony James, Jacoby Matthews. Carson Dean, Cole Hudson, Connor Robertson, and I'm still trying to confirm a couple of more independently. Uh, this is a big weekend, John. <laughs> they want they want this understatement. To go well. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. What what where do we go from here? What do we do? What what do we talk about here? Because I, I there's so many different angles we can we can attack here. I mean, should we just let's just start with Arch and, and go from there? I'm very shocked that you did that. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah look, you know the. Uh, the Archimanding sweepstakes is, is like we talked about for a long time last time. This thing's going to go longer than we all thought. Um, so every impression is important. He has basically confirmed that there is a trust in Steve Sarkeesian at the position, which is very important. The Texas brand speaks for itself. 
but he does want to see a progression on the football field. This kid is evaluating current offenses and then how he may fit and or enhance said offense. So you think of some of the offenses that Arch has seen to date, and they're very different. They're all incredibly different. I mean, Georgia got a ton of buzz after that South Carolina game where it it wasn't super explosive on offense compared to Texas last week or compared to Ole Miss or some of the other schools on Arch's list. But, you know, that game, they showcased a little bit more with the passing game, a little bit more quarterback run, throwing on the run, et cetera, a little little bit more outside the box than we expect from that, you know, quote-unquote pro-style approach that that Todd Monken has. So I expect similar with Texas and showcasing specifically with the quarterback position how it can utilize – a skill set like that. So I expect Casey Thompson to throw off of multiple platforms inside the pocket, outside the pocket, a little bit more design quarterback run. Cause again, sneaky thing with Arch Manning, he wants to be known as a dual threat. So showing that quarterback run is not going to, to deter a Manning, uh, you know, although conventional wisdom may tell you otherwise. Um, and then, like you said, the group of kids visiting with Arch, I think says something, a lot of big time 2023 prospects, you have you were the first one on the arch Ruben Owens kind of uh, potential domino there. Uh, Ruben Owens, the former commitment, and, and he's taking his time now. So if Arch likes Texas and makes that call in, in the next few months, Owens, we would probably suspect, is one of the next to jump up. And, and obviously, now you have the national name, then you have your in-state name paired with one another, and, and you're kind of off to the races uh, as far as recruiting rankings go. But back to Arch, this is very important. Every game visit is. And again, he is evaluating everybody on the field. The the good news here for Texas is that he's not looking at Oklahoma State. So even more than some of these other games, uh, like Oklahoma LSU, or excuse me, Ole Miss LSU, uh, in a couple weeks where he's going to be visiting Oxford, he's going to be watching both offenses, right? But when when it's Texas, Oklahoma State, he's only really locked in on Texas, which means when OSU has the ball, if the cerebral is, is comparable to some of the, the family members, now Arch is, is reading Sark's body language, the communication with Thompson. What is Hudson Card doing? You know, kind of all the little data points that you don't get when you have to watch both offenses operate. So I think that's part of the reason why the Georgia visit created so much buzz is because he was able to focus on that side of the ball permanently as opposed to going back and forth. So he'll have that opportunity again at Texas. Um, so I think, again, the off- on-field product will be as big as anything else because he's visited Texas before. He's familiar with Sark. He's familiar with that system. And he'll, you know, he'll get his office visit and all that fun stuff. But the game itself will be very critical in terms of the presentation. It will be the tangible presentation towards Arch. So I expect Casey Thompson to maybe not have the, as big a day as he did last week, but he's going to have a nice day. And, you know, when you, when you talk about watching the offense, how much of it is, how much of that is important as well for, for guys like Ruben Owens and Jonte Cook, who, you know, Ruben's obviously going to be watching Bijan and, and Roshan Johnson, and Jonte is going to be watching uh, Xavier Worthy and yeah, Josh I mean, Moore and those guys. Those, those are the cells right there, right? I mean, it's not, it's easier. It's easier than, than the cell to arch because they're, their players who since they were true freshmen, obviously where these still is, had a big impact at, at their position. So that cell is is much more tangible than 
than the built cell of Arch. Okay, so so let's go here then. Uh, we've talked obviously extensively about Arch on our pod over the last few weeks, um, and you know he's it's it's worth it. You know he's he's one of the top recruits maybe ever in in any recruiting cycle. Uh, one of the most desired, one of the most publicized, all that stuff. But the rest of the guys on this list are pretty damn good players too. Let's kind of go. I don't want to. I don't want to make you cover every single one, even though you're an encyclopedia, and I know you know everything you. about these guys. <laughs> uh, but let, let's hit a couple of the bigger ones, um, and you can tell us a little bit about them. Let Let's start with Ruben Owens, the, the former Texas commit, who kind of in an Ever, Evan Stewart esque way, um, I think committed too early, uh, and and decided, hey, I want to open this thing back up, enjoy the experience, um, and that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit about Ruben and, and what kind of player he is. Well, you know, you don't want to compare anybody to Bijan Robinson, but he brings a skill set that that provides both balance in terms of the conventional thoughts of the running back position, running inside and out, playing with contact balance, low playing, all that, with some some home run ability, some big playability at right about six foot, 195 pounds or so. Um, this is a potential number one back in the class kind of back, um, which is, again, all the things that we we said about Bijan Robinson coming out of high school. The difference is Robinson was in Arizona. So there was always this, uh, there was always this knock against where he played relative to other backs in that class of, I guess it would have been a class of uh, 2019, maybe, if memory serves, because these other backs were in Florida, California, Georgia, blah, blah, blah. Ruben doing it in Texas. <laughs> so there's there's none of that surrounding uh, this kid's game. That's why he was a priority extremely early on uh, in his recruitment. I think he committed, what, February, um, you know, of a sophomore year. Um, and it's why he's still a priority after decommitting. A lot of schools, a lot of schools have a, a very black and white approach to decommits. Um, and, and a lot of, and I would say the majority of them, when you decommit, you're off the board. It's like, fine. You don't want to be here. You go public with that. Have a good, have a good time, but it's not going to be here. Even if you change your mind, when you're an elite recruit, like Ruben Owens, there's no school in the country that's going to pull that with you. So just like we talk about Evan Stewart, being in the race to secure a potential former decommitment is a very, very, very hard thing to do. And it's a very big deal. I, I can't even think of more than two or three a year nationally that that decommit from one school and end up signing with the same school. So even to be in the running, I think, is a big deal. And look, you've got competition pretty much everywhere, right? You know, it's it's Alabama, it's AM, Notre Dame. Everybody's in this, this conversation with Ruben. Um, so every visit is big. And he's continued to visit which I think is really big as well. Uh, and like you said, no surprise that he's visiting the same weekend that, that arches. And, and, and the other, one of the other guys that I really want to focus on here is he's also in the 2023 class and he's arguably the top wide receiver on the 2023 class, John T. cook. We haven't talked a lot about him. Uh, most of our 2023 talk has been about arch, but this kid is explosive. He, he's an extremely, extremely good player with a high ceiling. Um, you know, I, I I don't know that he is necessarily Evan Stewart, but I don't know that there is another Evan Stewart in the 2023 class. He's a talent all on his own. There's some um, similarities there. I th- could see it. 
Yeah, there there are some. Um, tell us a little bit about Jonte and his recruitment because he he seems like he's kind of all over the board with who he hypes. Um, <laughs> every day it's he's he's popping up an Instagram story that says where am I going and he's got him in a Texas uniform or an A and M uniform or an OU uniform or Alabama or whatever. Um, he seems sort of like he's enjoying this process a lot. Um, so tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, it's like, why not, right? I mean, he's he's got two years left of, of high school. I mean, I think his – I was looking at his Twitter yesterday, and his uh, his header – I'm getting old. I don't know what these <laughs> sections ABI, are called. I think. Yeah, his his header has, you know, the, the bathtub picture with all of the letters from all the different colleges in there. Um, uh-huh. It's kind of become in the last five years like the conventional recruiting picture. So, yeah, he's having a little fun with it. But, you know, I don't blame him. I don't blame them. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for most kids. I mean, the transfer portal is, is kind of a different deal, but he's coveted. He's a big time explosive wide receiver. Like you said, similar to Evan Stewart to some degree, six foot 175 pounds. So he's a little bit leaner, but he's a track guy, just like Stewart, a vertical threat, just like Stewart, you know, 10 touchdowns on just 43 catches uh, as a sophomore in 2020. So you just see why he's got, you know, 40 scholarship offers and, and it's heavy hitters, right. All across his list. And, you know, he's down to a top 12, which, you know, might as well be a top 100 as far as we're concerned, but you look at some of the schools in there and you understand what that means for Texas in terms of how to get better. Uh, Alabama, Ohio state, South, uh, Southern Cal, Florida, Texas, Ole Miss, o- Oklahoma, I mean, a lot of explosive, offenses that have kind of been there done that and he's taken a lot of these visits um and you know late in september there was some pretty good buzz for for a&m uh with this kid the last i saw so um like you said he'll tease <laughs> pretty much all of the uh all the schools on his list but hey texas is one of them let me not make it seem like texas is not really in the thick of this thing um i think if I had to narrow it down, it's probably a, a, an AM Texas Bama scenario uh, today, and we'll see how it develops. He doesn't appear close to making a decision. So every visit is important. And again, that 2023 hype train, if you know who pops, other guys are going to move their timelines and, and adjust and shift uh, toward that Manning gravitational pull. So you never know. And again, getting them all on campus together uh, cannot be uh, overstated. Yeah, definitely. Um, and look, there's a couple of other guys. I mean, there's so many guys on this list we could talk about. Um, I like the trench guys in 2022 now. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I was. That's where I was going to go next. Um, I, actually, I'll just kind of let you you take it where you think. Um, who who on who else on this list really stands out as is a major major priority for Texas this weekend and and guys that you think are are not necessarily the most important on the list, but, you know, guys that um, are perhaps at key positions or, or, or key skill sets or anything like that. Well, we talked about the ability to throw a skill guy in there under Sark pretty quickly, right? Xavier Worthy is the shining example of that. And, and we talked earlier about the shuffle on the offensive line and the need for the defensive line to step up. So when you're rebuilding or, or building in your vision, I should say, and you're coming from the SEC, and you're inevitably going to the SEC, ironically, it's about the trenches. It's about the inside out. And I love some of these offensive linemen expected to visit. Ernest Green is a monster 
from St. John Bosco. I just talked about cross training with the Texas O-line and Kyle Flood. This kid already cross trains. You know, he's one of these that is he a pure left tackle from, from St. John Bosco, which by the way, nobody's questioning any competition this kid has ever played against. Probably not a left tackle in the in the conventional sense, but maybe he could play all four of the other spots. Big time heavyweight battle for him. Georgia uh, is in this conversation heavily. Ohio State as well. He was supposed to visit OSU, but I think he I think he had to reschedule uh, because of of uh, they moved his game to a different day or something like that. So Georgia has some some momentum with him, but Ohio State and Texas are expected to kind of hang in this race. This is a mature kid who's obviously looking at schools across the country. Looks like he'll probably leave Cali, especially with the turmoil there at uh, at USC. Um, and, and Stark understands the, the need to get in at pipeline schools. Uh, we always talk about pipeline states, right? Texas maybe recruiting California or Louisiana a little bit more or whatever. Pipeline schools, there are five to 10 schools that no matter what the year is, Matt, when we talk about recruiting, we go back to these same schools. And obviously St. John Bosco is one of these schools, a top five, top 10 high school, depending on where you look at, at your uh, you know, high school rankings every single year. Um, and they're always in the top five until they play modern day, which is a you know, story for another day. But Ernest Green might be the best player on that Bosco team, at least in the 22 class. So that's probably what I should have led with to, to emphasize the importance there. Are several other offensive linemen on this list, right, um, including the commitment. You know, Robertson from, from Austin Westlake, always good to get a commitment on campus. Peer recruiting is very, very big. Um Malik Agbo is another big offensive lineman coming from the state of Washington, which is not one we often talk about, but the, the door is open, right? The door is open in the state of Washington relative to what we normally see. Usually that's Husky and Oregon Duck territory, but things are so hot for the Huskies and the Ducks recruit nationally now under uh, Mario Cristobal. So a kid like Malik Agbo, by the way, 6'6", 330, uh, massive cat. Now this becomes a, a national recruitment and he is a national list. Uh, I think this is his, is this his first official visit? I might be wrong on that. Might, I think he took one be. or two in the summer, but this is his first fall official. Um, he's going to check out the Gators and Auburn, which are two programs that like Texas haven't recruited great on the offensive line over the last few years. So he's going to hear similar approaches from some of these programs, really Oklahoma is the only outlier on his list that has been very consistent up front. Um, Texas, Auburn, Florida, Miami, which, you know, is, is going in the other direction here. Uh, all unstable up front. Uh, so I'm very curious to see what his, his first impression is uh, of his time in Austin. Another potential blue chip type recruit. Uh, so I, I just, I think it's, it's not a coincidence to see so many O-linemen and D-linemen on this list. And then going over to defense, Quincy Weggins is, is a big physical player who, if he wasn't from Baton Rouge, would be talked about a lot more. Up until recently in LSU's kind of shenanigans on the field, everyone thought, hey, this is a Baton Rouge kid. He's a really good player. Obviously, he's going to end up at LSU, blah, blah, blah. Well, LSU's not doing too hot. So now all of a sudden people are talking about Quincy Wiggins a lot. Uh, Florida, LSU, Bama, uh, Texas now, obviously, getting him on campus. And we talked about peer recruiting. And there you go. Anthony James you know, uh, is going to be, excuse me, not Anthony James. Uh, the other D-line commitment um, 
for Texas, who's going to be in town. You know, these things matter on Saturdays. These things matter after Saturdays even more because these kids exchange numbers are probably Instagram, Snapchats more, more likely. And they, they talk to each other. Um, so we've talked about it with Arch and the 23s, but don't underestimate that with the 2022s as well. So really curious to see how these trench guys look. And then, you know, um, you know, Jordan Matthews is a big time DB coming in from Baton Rouge as well. So you wonder how him and Quincy might, might know each other and, and how uh, visiting the same school together might uh, carry their relationship a little bit further. Yeah. And look, if there's anything that was clear after last week against Oklahoma and their other loss against Arkansas, it's that they need to shore up those trenches. Um, you know, they've, they've done a lot of that on the defensive side of the ball in, in the 2022 class. I think they've got something like eight or nine defensive linemen uh, committed right now, which is, which is the direction that you want to go if you're heading into the SEC. But the one that, thing that they don't have in this class is a lot of O-line commits. Yeah, they have Hudson and they have Robertson, but those are the only two, and they're still chasing uh, a lot of prospects there. You know, Devin Campbell. You, you know, we're talking now. We're talking Ernest Green. Now we're talking Malik Ogbo. Uh, Cam Dewberry is another one. This is the last thing I'm going to ask you, John, um, and then I'll let you get out of here. Um, can they get all of these guys, or at least a handful of them? I mean, I, I know everyone mentions Texas in this in these lists, and they're oh yeah, Texas is great. Texas is great. But, I mean, what's the realistic possibility that they get two or three of these guys instead of just one? You always, you always start in state, and you go to the needs, right? We just talked about uh, a lot of overlap in those two categories. So, obviously, the young kids are equipped to go a little bit closer to home. So, so I think those, those young Texans will, uh, will have a bigger, a bigger, bigger spotlight on them. And then when you, when you go to the seniors – it's really a, an interesting list of, of visitors. Um, I think it is realistic to land a couple of these. You've got multiple kids coming from California, multiple kids coming from uh, Louisiana, uh, the Washington kid coming up as well. Um, so this is a very unique list. I don't know if Texas leads for any of these seniors, but that's why you host the visits. And some of these are official visits, particularly with, with Malik Agbo from Washington. You know, he's one that I would focus in a little bit more on, because like I said, some of these schools that are in it for him are are selling similar. Um, and when all things are even, you look at the ceiling, right? And, and the ceiling with Texas and Sark and Kyle Flood just happens to be a little bit higher, I, I would think, conventionally than, than Auburn and some of these other schools on the list. So I'm looking at the offensive line as a big need, like you said, Cam Dewberry, some of these other guys that are out there. Texas is going to have to start pressing for some of these trench prospects. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when we look back, um, you know, on signing day 2022 and 23, this this recruiting list will have three, four, five uh, Texas Longhorns on it. I, I'm not ready to call that shot for Arch Manning, which is probably why people clicked on this podcast. But I do think that Texas is a major player for Arch. We've heard all the reports. We've broken it down. Almost at nauseum, Texas is right in the thick of this thing. Texas, Georgia, Bama is probably that top tier with Arch. Um, so why not? Why not call that shot this early? It, it is too early, but they're not going to fade after a visit, that's for sure. And again, he gets to focus on on just one team, which is nice. Okay. And <clears throat> listen, I actually, I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I know we've of been course, going for course, a long time. <laughs> um, and this is this is sort of uh, this is sort of just a more of a broad question. It's not about any specific recruit. For those out there listening who don't know the difference, and I think this is there is an important difference here. For those who don't know the difference between an unofficial visit and an official visit, can you just kind of explain that in broad terms and why they're different? Well, I, I think the simplest way to do that is an unofficial visit is on your dime. The school um, can leave you a nice lanyard and tell you, hey, this is when uh, this is when to get here. And uh, if you got 10 bucks, you can eat the meal after the game at, at this building or whatever. An official visit, the school is paying for you and your family in a red carpet treatment scenario and style for 48 hours straight, um, including the plane ticket. Uh, so an official visit is absolutely monstrous. There's only a certain amount allowed per team. And when you talk about prospects visiting far away, you know, they have to rely on these official visits for the most part, unless mom and dad's got a couple dollars in their pocket, you've got to rely on these official visits to see schools further away and schools know that. So they just put more into it. So Malik Ogbo taking the official uh, to UT uh, this weekend, you know, he's going to get a different experience than one of these unofficial visitors or these 2023 visitors. Cause you gotta be a senior to take an official um, unless we get to the spring, but story for another day. Uh, so yeah, this is going to be an all in red carpet or, or an orange carpet treatment for Agbo and his family. I'm not sure who's all coming with him at this point, but you know, it's usually, you usually get two or three guests. So it's usually the parents, maybe high school coach, girlfriend, trainer, mentor, whatever. So uh, official visits are major, major deals in recruiting, especially now. We're two months from early signing day. So these are the final impressions a lot of kids are getting. So you can't place enough emphasis on kids taking official visits to your school surrounded by a game day. So you get the game day festivities, but then you get Sark one-on-one. Maybe you go to Sark's house, your academic presentations, uh, you're meeting with your position coaches, you're watching film. You've got two full days on the school's dimes you're eating good the hotel's beautiful there's cookies everywhere <laughs> gifts everywhere it is a it is a great time i mean kids you, if you're a recruit listening take all five of your officials if five schools will have you because at a minimum you're gonna get some good steaks meet some great people who who butter you up for two days and you know nothing wrong with that well john it's always a pleasure um i uh I always say that I'm not going to make you go an hour before we start these things. Then we end up talking for an hour, but, uh, but you always know, a pleasure, I, man. yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Um, this is, this is going to be a big weekend for Texas, no matter which way you slice it, whether or not it's on the field or, or on the recruiting front or anything like that. So uh, we will definitely be, definitely be uh, keeping our eye out there. Um, before, but before I let you get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Of course you can find me on this uh, Longhorns country podcast, but you can mainly find me at siallamerican.com. It's the college football and basketball recruiting hub for all things recruiting on the Sports Illustrated platform, and it's all free. So check us out, siallamerican.com. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Longhorns Country Podcast. We will be back uh, maybe later this week, but probably early next week. We'll recap uh, the Oklahoma State game. We'll try and recap this big recruiting weekend if we can, see if we can find out for you guys. At, uh, but uh yeah, just like, rate, and like, like, rate, and subscribe. Sorry, I can't talk. And uh, 
find us on your favorite platform. We're on, we're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on Spotify, we're on every single platform. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Yes, sir. We'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. 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 Bye.